0: All Sundays are significant. They're a weekly gathering of a community of Christ followers. All Easter's are wondrous. It's a yearly celebration of Jesus' resurrection. Yet, uh, this Easter, 2020, I think is going to be one of the most remembered Easter's in Christian history. To preach it is a profound responsibility which I do not take lightly, which is far beyond my abilities. This is not the first time that the church has celebrated Easter during what the Bible writers would call the plague. Yet this is the first time in my lifetime, and I'm, I'm 53, I've got some gray hair. I can not hear a lot of times either very well. I've got wounds all over my body. But this is the first time in my lifetime this has ever occurred in something of this nature. I uh, don't think I'm that wise. I knew people who lived through the Spanish flu in 1918. I don't have many regrets, but one I have this week is that when I was a teenager, I didn't study enough history to know what the Spanish flu was and to pull my grandmother aside and say, tell me. I did call my dad this week, and my dad's 80, so you can do the math. He didn't see it either, but his mother did. I asked him what he remembered hearing. My dad told me that the story he remembers was that his uncle Earl was a little boy in 1918. His older brother, Sanford, had died in the first world war, and Earl a little boy was sick. second. In the Spanish flu. The family didn't think he was going to live. Um, my great great grandfather, Acorn, stayed up night after night with him. Said, Everyone else rest, I'll stay with them, stay through the night. My grandmother, Minnesota Icorn, stayed up with her dad and right prayed through the nights. Mom, Coral, lived. He had 11 kids. I only really know one of them, but I've been told they were great and shy. Earl's youngest son, Leslie, uh, served as a medical There's a lot of people alive because Leslie was picking up the pieces in There's a lot of people alive because my grandmother. I have a feeling that we're all facing kind of a similar dilemma we go back to history and try to think through what the God's people do. I've read a bit of North Dakota history. I'm relatively new here. I've always loved North Dakota, but I'm new here. I'm still learning. And I apologize that my understanding of North Dakota history is going to be shallow, but here's something I understand. When the Spanish flu came through in 1918, it didn't quite hit North Dakota as hard as it did other places Our distance between one another probably kept some people alive. But people did die here, and some historians will say the weakness was that North Dakota sent so many young men to the war, and our doctors and our nurses were in France, and we were short medical people here. Today, in North Dakota, we still have young men and women who go overseas. to defend the United States. But I'm looking around, we don't have many medical people that are overseas. Our hospitals are in good shape. People are preparing. What's happening in North Dakota today that I know, and I'm I'm not going to name names because I didn't ask people, could I use your name, but I'm going to say, here's some things I know. We have a son of a family at Revive who's a member of the National Guard. He's staying up all night, night after night, making preparations. We have revived people who work in the hospital systems; they're working overtime getting ready. We have revived people who have businesses that sell cleaning products, and that's essential. They're working overtime, and it's getting personal. One revived member has a friend of a son who's been diagnosed with brain. It's starting to touch us. Generations ago. We who would have been here on the plains of North Dakota would have thought, oh, this war in Europe is a long ways away. We're reading news or hearing on the radio about the Spanish flu. And you could think, well, it's not going to get here. It did. History teaches us that our global humanity is connected. What happens in one place will eventually affect us all. We can remember generations before us have grieved loss, but they have found hope in the resurrection of Jesus generations before us survive with common sense, courage, and compassion and by the power of God we will too. My family had the privilege to serve outside the United States. I recognize I'm not the only one who's done that. I have a feeling if I'd start walking the streets of Bismarck and could ask God his questions, there's a lot of us like that. But here's what I know. Two friends of mine a few weeks ago in Italy we sent a couple notes, and they said, yeah, it's not being exaggerated in the media. Get ready. About a week ago, I noticed that a acquaintance of mine, a pastor I knew in Uganda, was in the U.K. serving as a pastor of a church there, and he died from coronavirus. I've been watching the global cities of America Four of my friends who I pass, pastor in Chicago have lost somebody, a family member, a church member, or someone in their relationship network has died. And they have to try to think, how do I pastor at a distance? I've got two missionary friends, guys who serve African immigrants in New York who have recovered from coronavirus. I have one missionary friend we used to serve in Uganda and then in Oklahoma City and now has going to New York to serve as a nurse. And I want to tell you something that's encouraging. I, uh, I'm on a lot of social media and my Ugandan friends who live in Europe are starting to say, I had it, we survived. This is what you need to do. And I'm taking really good notes when I see those things come. This I know for sure. Jesus rose from the dead. We will suffer in this life. Our life is but a mist, and some of us, I believe, will live a long life, and we will transition home in a peaceful way, but others may not live through this life. I believe that history will speak well of Christ's church, and since he rose from the dead, we will be part of his glorious story as we walk through this, the valley of the shadow of death. We, his body, will be the salt of life. We will preserve it. We will add flavor to it. Life will never return to our past ideas of normal. Don't think that in just a few weeks it's going to be normal again. That will never happen. Yet when this is done, we will be a better people and this will be a better world. Today I'm going to try very hard not to offer any new insights. I'm only going to do these simple things. I'm going to offer two Bible texts that have been used for the history of Christianity when we've celebrated Easter. I'm going to be in John chapter 21 to 18. Then I'm going to be in Acts 20, verse 34 to 43. These are texts that have brought God's people hope during place. I read one prayer at the beginning. I'm going to read another at the close. One, in fact, my dad told me, he watched me on Good Friday and said, man, that's the most profound prayer I've ever heard you say, David. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't clear enough. That was from the book of common prayer. I'm not that smart. I'm going to read old prayers today. Prayers that have been skinned for hundreds of years and reflect the profound prayers of God's people. Then at the end, we're going to take Holy Communion together. Let me read John chapter 21 to 18, kind of sum up the story. <coughs> On the, and I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Version. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb room. While it was still dark, she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter, to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put after that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloth there, lying there, but he did not go in. Then, following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lined with a linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw that Jesus was standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, Why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him, met Raboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to her, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he said to her. Jesus' first disciples, they saw his death. And most of them, when they saw it, they ran scattered in fear. The text we hear that read, it was only a, some women and a religious leader who was out of step with his contemporaries who offered to care for Jesus' body. That was it. They the rest of the scatter. But even those who acted in courage really didn't know what was coming next. John tells us that Mary Magdalene went to this empty grave three days later. She was a woman with a tattered breast. And this is the nature of our humanity when it meets Jesus. Our lowly status doesn't matter. Our past doesn't matter. He gives grace and He honors the home. When Mary got to that empty tomb, she didn't know what to do, and in a certain way it seemed to have terrified her. And her response was to run to the others and share what she understood. Her first thought was someone stole the body. And I imagine today, there's probably billions of us around the world right now who really don't know what we're supposed to do, where this is going to go. Our emotions range from fear to confidence to inspiration to doubt. But I want to encourage you to be like Mary. When you see something, be quick to move. Be quick to speak what we understand. And even if our understanding is imperfect, keep talking to others. As the disciples hear Mary's words, the body's gone. They take off running. John's Gospel mentions Peter, and then he mentions a man who John keeps describing as the one disciple whom Jesus loved. Most commentators believe that disciple is John himself, the author of the book, the author of this gospel, the author of four New Testament books. And this was his way of letting people know, I'm writing, I was intimate with Jesus, but in a certain way, of drawing attention to the Lord's love, but not attention to himself. Peter and John ran to investigate, in my encouragement to you, people of God is when you sense God is moving, when you sense Jesus is in our world, particularly through what I'm going to term a plague, though the scientists will call it a pandemic. Be quickly to run. Be quickly to find out news. Begin quickly to investigate. And some will be saying, don't watch the news, and I'll say, yeah, be careful of what you can do. But try your very, very best to be very aware of what is going on, get the best wisdom, and run to share the best. The first one to reach the tomb was John, and some of you know I I like to run. I used to be somewhat quick. I'm embarrassingly slow now. Many believe that John was the youngest, the fittest of the apostles. He was the first one to get there. It may be a bit of conjecture to go there. and Maybe it even appeals to my nature that I like hanging out with young guys who run quick. But I do believe it's a reminder God has a special place in his heart for the ideals, the wonder, and the strength of youth. And let me say this because I'm preaching to Revive. One of the things I love about you, Revive, is how young you are, how much joy there is in the assembly, all these little kids giggling. It just makes me smile every time I'm with you. For those of you that have little gray hair like me, Maybe it becomes slower in life. Let me remind us, we need to be willing to pass on the batons of leadership to the people who are younger than us, who can think faster than us, and run faster than us, and we just give them our guidance, care, and wisdom and recognize what we have is something we've received from someone else. John gets there to the tomb. He pauses. And I appreciate about this too, when youth realize I don't know what I'm doing, let me sit here and wait. He saw the grave clothes of Jesus in the tomb he paused. When Peter arrives, this is, I think, the old man of the bunch. The old, quick to speak, bit of a temper, a little bit impulsive old man, sees those grave clothes, separate and folded, and they both walk in. John's gospel, John's telling his own story, I believe, says when he saw that empty tomb and he saw the order, the grave clothes had been taken off and put up in an orderly way, John believed. He believed Jesus had risen from the dead, his Lord, his teacher, was alive. But I find this to be both interesting and insightful. John believes. Yet as he's, he's writing by the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, I didn't understand what had happened. His ability to reason from the scripture F about the resurrection had not yet developed. And I think this is going to be where we're going to live for some days to weeks to months to hopefully not years, but maybe we will through this pandemic or plague. There's going to be moments where we, God's people, stand in wonder we believe something is happening, God is doing something out of the ordinary, but we can't understand it. We can't put words to it. We can't diagram it as a theological treatise or find the scriptures or history that we can all make sense with it out of. And frankly, it might be our children or grandchildren who do that. And when we hit those moments, we need to be both inspired and humble and be able to live in that tension to recognize, I believe, but I don't understand. That's the tension that God's people have lived in through these profound seasons, and we will live in it through this one. The text tells us that after Peter and John saw the empty tomb and they believed, they returned to the place where they're staying. And to me, that seems particularly pertinent to us today when I... And pretty confident that those of you that are watching have returned to the place where you're staying, you're social distancing, you're sitting in your living room, or maybe in your office, you may have a few people, a family gathered around the screen, or you may be looking at your phone, we're return. I think in many ways we are celebrating Easter today in one of the most similar ways to how it probably felt emotionally a little over 2,000 years ago, of this uneasy tension, believing that Jesus has rose from the dead, but we don't understand it, we're scattered as God's people in small little groups. But I trust this. I will make a few predictions about the future today, and one I predict is those little toddlers that are sitting around the screen today and the little kids that might get bored with my sermon and start to meander out. And the teenagers who may stay with it the whole time and pick holes in my sermon and know, yep, and say, mess this one up. When they grow old, they will tell stories about the 2020 Easter. This will be the one they remember probably more than any other. And this will be a profound Easter, which will define humanity for generations to come. If the Lord does not mature. While Peter and John were emotionally able to return to their abode. And I admit this. Haven't you felt this way sometimes? I, I walk through Walmart and it feels like I've walked into the movie set of a movie about an apocalypse. And I sit in my car and I'm trying to just gather the energy to turn it on and go home. They can turn it on. They go home. Mary's in a weeping still. She's just stunned at the grave. During her wails, two angels begin Or seen sitting at the place where Jesus has been. And they asked her why she was crying, and she responds, thinking, not fully understanding. She's thinking, they've taken the bottom. And then Jesus appears to her. And he asks her, Why is she crying? What is she seeking? She doesn't even recognize it's him. She thinks it's a gardener. Then Jesus speaks her name. He says, As Mary hears her name, and as I think for us in this Easter season, it's going to be personal, and I pray that none of you walk away from this season without a tear in your eye, without a movement in your heart, without wrestling from the emotions of doubt and fear to believe, to wonder, to hunger for more. Jesus whispers your name. You know it's personal. And she cries out, "Raboni," which in English would mean teacher, would so translate translated master. And Jesus instructs her not to hold on to him. There's something that's changed about his body, and the ascension is coming. Then he tells her, go tell my brothers. These disciples, these followers, are his brothers, their family, that he is alive. And she mentioned, he mentions the phrase, and tell them, I've returned to my God and your God. This is the belief system of our family. We are together. Mary goes and tells, and that's our task today to do, we cannot forget that we will have our moments of doubt and humility, but the Lord first appears to the one in vulnerability who had the courage to care, and she was a woman. The first commissioned missionary of Jesus who was said, go and tell, was a woman. And I'm very confident when our grandchildren tell the histories of this season, they're going to talk about, Those they saw who walked with humility, such as my grandmother, took care, prayed for her, her her brother, my great uncle. Thus begins this great missionary enterprise of our faith. Some of you know I had the privilege to be overseas and be what would be considered a missionary, and I still consider myself one today. But frankly, though, we have stories about missionaries that we like to put on a stage and kind of lift up the status of those who carry a a message beyond our own culture. All of us that God has called to be in that role have a lot of stories of our own lives that are very troubling. Moments where it was only through God's weakness, our weakness, that God got anything done. I can't even use the right words. Excuse me. God worked through our weakness. I'm going to read a story in Acts chapter 10. And as I read it, I want you to remember a little thing here. This happens years later. The apostles were told to go. And if I understand Acts right, they stayed around Jerusalem too long. Let me read for you Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 34 to 43. Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean countryside and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him. That through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Here's my best understanding of this story. Several years later, Peter, who is one of the is this man who ran to the tomb and got there late and impulsively went in, and then John believes, and then they see Jesus risen from the dead. They stayed in Jerusalem. They had been told to go and they stayed. And finally, they start going to all nations, and practically, sometimes, I hate to admit this, sometimes it takes us years as God's people for both our own faith to fully develop where we can obey what we're told and for the circumstances to be just right where God's sovereignty moves history. When that happens, even to a man like Peter, it left him perplexed, and we're going to be perplexed on this journey too. The story that I've read is in Acts chapter 10 where a man named Cornelius, who's a Roman, the the term that we get used to using as we read through Acts is centurion, but that means he's an officer, he commands a hundred men. He's a Gentile, or he's descended from Latin, he's descended from Rome, he's not a Jew. But he has heard the stories of Yahweh created God, the God of the Jews, and he's taken on that faith, and he's a follower of the Old Testament, And Cornelius is hearing stories about this Jesus, and he has a dream, and he sends for a man named Peter. Peter has a similar dream, and goes, really it appears in this text, this is the first time that Peter starts to actually do what Jesus had commanded him to do years earlier. This is the message that Peter tells Cornelius. He says that God shows no favoritism based upon someone's ethnicity, status, or economic background. God is not a capricious God that favors some over the others. And he says if one is seeking God in a holy fear, God will find a way to get his message of truth to that person. And this message begins with the people of Israel. Through Israel, the good news of peace through Jesus is proclaimed. Jesus of Nazareth, he is Lord of all. All creation and power are under his authority, and all one day all will bow to him. Peter says that these events of Jesus' lives are part of history. And I want to say clearly today, you might be talking to some of your neighbors about Jesus. In fact, who knows, we're in my uh, apartment, and we're a little bit loud, and I have a feeling my neighbors are hearing the gospel today. I don't know what they're thinking. A few of them might raise the issue of who's this crazy old man in my apartment building. A few might say, well, he's talking about Jesus, and who knows? It's probably just a made up story. It's old. No one who's really a thoughtful person will deny that Jesus of Nazareth walked this earth. There is too much historical data. You've got to actually be foolish to ignore the data. The question we have to wrestle with is did he rise from the dead? And I think the data says he does. Jesus, part of history, he walked this earth. When he was upon this earth, he did good. He healed all those who were oppressed by the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. And frankly, today, he would do the same thing. He will heal oppression. Peter's a witness to this life of Jesus and ministry, as were many others. And Jesus was the Son of God, and he was unjustly killed. Peter tells us, the text tells us, I believe this, many of you do. After three days in the grave, Jesus rose from the dead. Peter, in this message to Cornelius, says this wasn't seen by everyone, but only those who were appointed as witnesses. And those witnesses, they ate and drank with them like how many of you will probably do in a few moments as you have lunch together or if you're on some part of the world that's ahead of us, you've already done the physical parts of our life that make us community. Of eating together, drinking together, touching one another, sharing life, the resurrected Jesus did. We, Peter says we were commanded to tell others this message, and we who are Christ followers today are also Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. All the prophets of history confirm this. If you read through the Old Testament, it all makes sense. Peter now understood what he could only barely believe years before. And if you're sitting here watching this today, and you're wrestling with shame, with sin, with addictions and habits, sicknesses, or feeling the weight of oppression, you don't know what you will think about Jesus, and you don't know if you can get a new start. I want you to hear this one. Everyone who believes this message of Jesus, that he rose from the dead, Peter, by the power of Holy Spirit, proclaims when you believe, you have forgiveness of sin. All the darkest shame of our past is taken